Hello, interior designers. I'm Peter Spaulding, your host of the Daniel House Book Club. As we continue our study of 1,000 Chairs, one of the eight books every interiors lover should have read according to Architectural Digest, I'm lucky enough to be joined by designer and Daniel House Club member Kristen Siefkin to learn how she specifies a few of the chairs listed in the book. The two we really touch on are, the, are Werner Panton's chair, which, released in 1967, is famously the first single-piece molded plastic chair, and Marcel Breuer's Vasily chair, the design of which has its root in bent steel tubing of bicycle handlebars. The latter debuted in 1925 as the Breuer Model B3, but was later marketed as the Vasily chair when it was manufactured by the Italian company Gavina. Breuer and the abstract painter Vasily Kandinsky knew each other during their time at the Bauhaus, and Kandinsky liked the B3 model so much that Breuer made him one for his own home. The Pantone chair is stackable and curvaceous, while the metal and leather Vasily chair is a bit more aloof and austere. Following our chair discussion, Kristen sticks around to tell us about how she's been relying on Daniel House Club to help her manage design projects from afar. If you've been thinking about joining Daniel House but aren't totally clear on the benefits, Kristen will help clarify some of the main advantages. If you're just joining us every week for a little bit of design knowledge, we're so happy to have you too. And with that, let's get to the interview. Hey, uh, designers, I'm here with my friend and uh, designer, Kristen Siefkin. She's actually uh, a very early Daniel House Club member, and we've been super grateful to have her as a a client. Uh, Kristen, thanks for uh, joining and chatting with me this morning. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm looking at you in a beautiful white room on a comfortable looking sofa and you're wearing like spaghetti straps because you are um, talking to us from someplace more wonderful than I. So tell us where you are. I wouldn't say more wonderful. I would say wonderful in uh in a very different way i'm in puerto vallarta mexico and you you moved there four or five months ago i did yep i packed it all up and sold my house and my car and grabbed my dogs and flew down here and you are uh learning spanish uh one day at a time Uh Uh and enjoying the sun and continuing to operate your business is that correct I am. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had to um, tweak my um, business uh, offerings uh, quite a bit since moving here um, to adjust to obviously being um, working remotely. Uh, but yeah. Okay. So, so you have been generous enough to, to agree to talk with me about both um, our study in our book club about 1000 chairs and your opinions on some of the chairs that we're looking at. And then also to tell us about how you use um, the Daniel House Club planning boards tool to communicate with your clients. So um, let's first go into chairs because that's, you know, like more exciting. Um, <laughs> no, everything's exciting. Daniel House Club is always exciting. But I'm uh, as designers, I think we're always more interested in the aesthetics of stuff than like how to run our business. Um, so uh, I specifically wanted to ask you about the Pantone chair because I know that you have those chairs in your dining room 
or in a, that you've used them in projects, perhaps multiple times. Um, and a lot of your work tends to rely sort of on bold silhouettes. And I'm curious, is that why you specify the chair? Is that why you're drawn to it? Is it super comfortable? What is it about that chair? Well, um, one point of clarification, I, I had those chairs. I sold those chairs along with 90% of the furniture that I owned. Um, the, the remaining 10% is in a storage unit, but I actually parted with those beautiful chairs uh, a couple months ago before moving down here. Did they go to a good home at least? They did. They did. They did a great home. Yeah, they did. They did. But I have also specified them for clients in the past. Um, I really love them um, as a shorter, smaller person. Um, I find them to be incredibly comfortable. Um, the scale and the curvature of the chair is is perfect. I think for a person who's you know five foot five and under. Um, so I come from that. Can I identify with that. <laughs> Um, I, I really love, uh, and you mentioned this, anything that has, that's sinuous in a space. I find that um, modern architecture uh, doesn't have a lot of natural curvature in it. And so these chairs are a really nice way with all of the rounded corners to help soften a space. Um, I also think from a practicality standpoint, they're, they're fantastic. Um, they're easily cleanable. You can spill anything on them and not, you know, unlike upholstery, you, you don't have to worry about them. And I also like the fact that they're stackable and they're light. Yeah. Do you ever have a client who's like a little bit nervous to have that go into their project? And how do you? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I think a lot of people consider it to be, um, you know, cold feeling um, because it is plastic, molded plastic. Um, but I think if you can incorporate other elements that are softer and have texture that you can help them get over that hurdle. And so for listeners who may not be totally familiar with this chair, could you come up with some a two sentence description of, of its appearance and purpose? Well, sometimes people refer to the chair as the S chair because if you look at it from its profile, it takes the shape of an S. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I, there's something really sexy about the chair for me. It um, is very sexy. Yeah, yeah. It comes in multiple colors. And so you can have a lot of fun with it. I just had black in my own home, um, but it comes in you know, cherry red and white and yellow. Sort of, if you squint, it's like maybe like a Balenciaga ball gown. Like it just, yeah, yeah. it has the sense of movement that, um, that not a lot of other chairs have, I think. That's really interesting. It does. It does. If you look at it, it's, there's almost a trajectory, right? It feels like yes. it's moving forward. You're right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A Valencia gown on the runway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So um, we're talking about this book, A Thousand Chairs. It has a thousand chairs um, worth studying from the late 19th and early 20th century. Um, and the author's um, sort of define the success of a chair as um, making as many connections, connections as possible. And that could be the connections of the materials that it's made out of, connections to the body of the person sitting in it, um, connections to the emotions of the person who owns it, and connections really to the values of the society from which it was produced. Does that kind of jive with 
what you would think of as a successfully designed chair? I had never heard that before. Um, and it makes so much, to, so much sense to me. Um, I think because uh, the way that I design is all about connections as well. And, and when I say connections, I think of emotional connections. Um, you know, it's, it's super important to me um, to, when I see a piece of art or a piece of furniture that I have an emotional attachment to it almost instantly. And so the, the connection terminology makes a lot of sense. I hadn't heard about it in terms of like the, the, the culture that you're in and, um, and the way that it, it fits the body, but it all makes so much sense to me when, when you describe it that way. I have, I guess, two follow-up questions would be, um, and I don't know, are, are you working for anyone uh, in Mexico right now or are all of your projects abroad? So uh, the majority of my clients are still in the Pacific Northwest. Uh -huh. um, I do have a client here in Puerto Vallarta. Um, oh. she, owns, she owns Vallarta Tequila Tasting Tours. Oh, cool. She just purchased um, a physical space and I'm helping her do the design and build out for that. Awesome. That sounds really fun and yeah. possibly dangerous. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm curious if you have noticed on the emotional or societal range, different connections where you are now versus um, here in the Pacific Northwest where you had been practicing for a long time. Are your, do your clients connect with something different? Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, it's more about practicality in Mexico, especially where I am on the coast um, uh, with the, the conditions, the weather conditions, the humidity can be absolutely brutal. Um, the salt in, in the air can wreak havoc on um, traditional um, fabrics that we use in the United States or um, materials like walnuts will get completely consumed by termites. Um, so I, I think while we sometimes put aesthetics first and then practicality second, I think it's in the reverse here, at least from what I've noticed in my short period of time. Interesting. Um, I, I, that's interesting that you say that because I, I think of, um, Kristen and I both have live in Port or did both did live in Portland, Oregon. I, I think of Portlanders as fairly practical people in terms of, um, I, I don't know if I think about them. I think aesthetically they're more interested than some places, but I think when it comes down to the actual specification, they do get quite practical. Um, and I, I tend to think of uh, particularly resort areas in Mexico as a little bit sexy. Uh, so are you, are you saying, no, I'm, I'm wrong or, or do they achieve that just with very practical materials? I think the latter, they achieve that with practical materials. Take the Acapulco chair as an example. Uh -huh. um, I hadn't paid a whole lot of attention to Acapulco chairs until moving down here. Uh, but you see them everywhere and they don't look like they would be terribly comfortable, but they are, and they're highly durable and they can come in a million different colors and you know, the, the 
backs can be patterned in really fascinating ways. Um, so I, I think that they found a way to bridge the practicality with the um, aesthetic, but I think that, you know, people just won't spend money on things that aren't going to last here. Right. Yeah. yeah. Due to the conditions. So people aren't stupid is, is the message. Yeah. Yeah. And, and strangely furniture is very expensive, at least in Puerto Vallarta. And so if you're going to buy it, you want it to last. And I mean, not that that's not true in the States as well, but I think that, you know, I'm in an open air living room right now, as an example. Right. Yeah, yeah. It has Everything to in here has to, you know, stay on the 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 weather conditions. Uh the last time I was in Acapulco, I was eleven, I think. I I loved my time there. I don't remember the Acapulco chair. What what um what does it look like? Uh it's uh, it's um most of them are really casual um, and they're strung together um, usually with some uh, a thicker um, twine. Um, sometimes it's made of plastic, uh -huh. um, but they're woven together. They're woven backs and woven seats. Um, and they come in different shapes and sizes. Sometimes you see them as, um, as lounge chairs and they're a, a bit of a, uh, a shell shape. Um, but most recently I've become acquainted with the ones that are used for dining chairs because we're specifying those for this tequila tasting room. Interesting. Cool. And are they something that I see here in Portland or? You might see the lounge chair versions, but, um, I, um, I don't, I don't recall seeing them very often. Maybe, maybe in century design you see them. Okay. Yeah, because that is something that I love is that it's still possible, even in an era when furniture is shipped all over the world, that you go someplace and there is something specific to that place still. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In uh, I was born in Wisconsin, lived there till I was 18. A bunch of my friends went to the University of Wisconsin. And for a while, it was like a rite of passage to steal one of their um, chairs at the, I forget what they call their like commissary, but it's between, it's on the lake and they have this very iconic chair that you don't see anywhere else. Um, and you'll uh -huh. go around town and you'll see one on a front porch and you'll be like, oh, they, you know, they got away with it. But I think it was a pretty heavy fine if you, if you got caught, but I love going to places and knowing that that chair only belongs in that place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, I don't know that the Acapulco chair only belongs. <laughs> no, no, no. But I get where you, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, yeah, it makes travel continue to be interesting, I think. Um, oh, sure. Um, okay. So outside of these kind of iconic chairs we've been talking about, um, are there other types of chairs, other types of seating that you really rely on to get a, a project completed well? Um, you know, so many people, I think, are afraid of um, having chairs in a space in a living room, as, in, as an example, that don't match. Or uh, yes. That, that don't match. They're, they're looking for um, the crate and barrel experience. So they have two club chairs and a sofa all in the same fabric or maybe in two different fabrics. Hate it. Um, 
I think it drives me crazy. It drives me absolutely crazy. So I think the first order of business is, is to try to get them to consider having two different chairs in a space. Yeah. Um, I think that you can have two chairs that are um, similar in scale, um, but using totally different fabrics and materials um, to create a more interesting and layered look. Um, as an example, you know, my favorite, favorite chair is the Palestino uh, from Design Within Reach. Uh, it's not only is it unbelievably sexy, uh -huh. um, but it's comfortable. And so, so many people are taken by surprise when they sit down on that because they think it's not going to be, and it really is. Um, so I love incorporating that chair in a space if I've got a client who has a budget. Yes. Um, yeah. that can, that, it is not an inexpensive piece at all, but it is, it's a stunner. Um, but then choosing something that is similar in, in scale, but maybe from an upholstery uh, because the Palestino is, is in a leather. Yeah. Um, so that you could have a little bit of that, that sheen from the leather, but then you have some softness and some texture um, in your other chair. And also, you know, if, you, if you're considering age, age um, appropriateness, that's not necessarily the right term, but you know, my 80 year old father yeah. sitting in the Palestina chair is not, you know, probably the best thing in the world. It's difficult for him to get in and out of. Um, so maybe having something that is a little more functional uh, for different populations and demographics. I um, graduated college. I went to NYU and um, graduated college. My grandpa was probably 85. I don't have any idea what I was thinking, but I had him stay at the Standard Hotel in New York. Um, and it was brand new. And, you know, in his day, I think he liked cool edgy stuff but he literally had to roll his body onto the floor like drop onto the floor and push himself up off the side of the platform bed because uh, he his hips hurt too much to to actually put his feet down on the ground on a bed that was so low yeah uh, so i learned right away yeah. But uh, it's not good design. It's a room isn't well designed if a variety of people can't use it. Um, That's definitely true. And I think especially in, you know, I've noticed that even more so in Mexico because this is such a multi-generational um, place. People live with their right. yes. grandparents. And so you've got to have a space that can accommodate you know, tiny children and great grandparents at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I did, uh, I did leave, uh, listeners last week promising that we would touch on the Vasily chair. Uh, you and I briefly discussed it just before. Uh, so tell me your thoughts on that chair. Uh, would you specify it for a client? Why, why not? Um, go. <laughs> Um, well, if you haven't gathered by now, I really love things with curves. And <laughs> while, I, while I can appreciate the importance of this chair in furniture history, I personally find it too um, blocky and cl clunky looking, I guess, is, mm. is the term that I would use. Um, and I also don't find it especially comfortable. 
if a client really, really wanted to have that piece, or let's say they had that piece already in, the, yeah. in a space, um, I would just try to ensure that there were other more comfortable, more functional seating options in, in the room as well. And maybe that piece could um, act as, as more as a, an art piece than um, a, a seating option. I'm glad you brought that last point up because I find that chairs like that one. I, I mean, I think it's beautiful as a piece of sculpture. Right. Um, and I, I don't think it's uncomfortable. It's just not super comfortable. Um, but when a, when a chair is that the scale that it is and so square, it's actually kind of hard to put into a room because moving around it is challenging or like what goes right next to it. Um, you know, the edges are too hard, I think, to, to do anything but sort of have it alone. I think what I dislike most about it is that, that the metal is so exposed that your body touches the metal. Right. Various yeah. points, and there's something really uncomfortable about that for me. Yeah. Um, so it's a real, it's a tactile thing for me, maybe yeah. more than, than the way that it looks. I have these chairs that I absolutely love. Um, they are Windsor chairs rumored to be based on um, the chairs that were in George Washington's dining room at Mount Vernon, but they are indoor outdoor chairs and they are made out of powder coated aluminum. And I have them in my dining room and I love the way that they look, but I don't ever want to sit on them because they are so cold. It doesn't matter what the temperature in the house is. I will freeze to death if I sit on these things. Yeah, especially in the Pacific Northwest where you need. You yeah, know, you need a little bit of, I think that's why wood is so, so revered here um, because it, you know, it does help you stay warm. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, what else should we say about chairs? Oh, um, you and I talked a little bit about this right before and you said you didn't have a great answer. Um, which is fine. Uh, I, I was, I was sort of blustering on about my, my disappointment that the book A Thousand Chairs doesn't include anything um, pre, uh, pre mass production, and um, a little bit that this is just. I think it's important to have context about, you know, how we got to the point of, of. Um, reverentially treating mass-produced pieces, um, but also that so few of the pieces in the book are upholstered. I mean, there are some. Uh, I guess my, my real question is, are there iconic, or maybe not iconic, but super common upholstered pieces that um, maybe don't lend themselves to mass production. Maybe you do have to call a workroom and put something together, but are there upholstered pieces that don't fall in this canon that you feel like you need to, to put a room together well? Hmm. I mean, it's not under the category of chair necessarily, but it is seating. I, I do love a good ottoman or two in a space. Uh -huh. Um, they provide seating. Um, they're a great opportunity if somebody is, is shy about using pattern or, um, you know, an, an interesting um, um, 
fabric that's, you know, boucle that has some, you know, good crunchy yeah. texture to it. Uh, <laughs> um, do you use ottomans as, as secondary seating pretty often? I do. Yeah. I do. Um, I find that a lot of people, um, especially coming out of COVID, want to start entertaining more. Yeah. And so yeah. they're looking for opportunities to have people over and not necessarily put three people on a sofa, um, but have still provide a little bit of space between um, bodies. And I think ottomans are a great way to do that. Um, one of the books that we covered together was, um, Elsie DeWolf's The House in Good Taste. And she has this really hilarious section dedicated to small stools in a room. And she says, I always have them in all of my rooms. And invariably the largest man will come and sit on the smallest stool. (laughs) And and I, I haven't necessarily made that observation, but we have a big round, like hassock thing in our living room. And people will sit on that over sitting in a chair. Uh Um, And I'm not sure why. I think it's more uh, socially informal and you can kind of sit forward and engage with the person that you're talking with in a way that sitting down in a chair, I don't know, indicates that you are hunkered down there for a while. Interesting. Interesting. I I think that that's probably true. I also think that... um, you know, Ottomans are mobile. You can pick them yeah, up yeah. and come across a room. And um, so I think there's something really nice about, about that rather than having to um, sit in a chair that's stationed a little bit further away from the rest of the crowd. So you can kind of pull yourself in or, or, or move take yourself away room. if you're done with everybody. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. Anything else we should, should be mentioning on the topic of seating or should we move on to how you're using the Daniel house planning boards? Uh, let's, let's move on to that. I do have a couple thoughts on, you'd ask some questions about chairs as it relates to Daniel house, the chairs that I like that you have. Oh yeah. Let's start there. Let's start with the good stuff. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Let me make sure I have the name of it here. All right. Uh, well, you know, every, every vendor has, I feel like, named all of their chairs a bunch of women's names. And uh, uh, someone will call and be like, do you have the Chloe? And I'm like, I don't know, we have like 17 Chloe's. I have, let me check. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. It's, it, I wonder if it's a certain uh, generation that's naming these now. Yeah, I don't know. what It, it seems more approachable if they're f- female names that end in I-E or I, I have no idea. Maybe it's more memorable. It's easy yeah. to remember. I'm not sure. Anyway. Yeah. All right. So so what is, what, give me some of the chairs that you're. Oh, uh, yeah. Like. Yeah. So the, the Strata chair by Arteriors. Oh, yeah. I've been ogling that for about a year now. Um, I haven't had the, the right- That product. has those pretty sinuous metal arms, right? It, it, so it, it's actually um, strips of rattan. Oh, is that, it? Oh, okay. That drape off of the arms and the backside of the- Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know the one you're talking and about. Almost, the rattan almost looks like leather. But, yeah. But I think what I really like about it 
in, uh, there are banyan trees in Puerto Vallarta all over the place. And banyan trees have these really long draping um, leaves and limbs that come off of it. And for some reason, this chair is really reminiscent of that tree for me. So I, I'm, I'm really pining over it. I would personally <laughs> love to have it. Although having leather in, in Mexico is not the best idea in the world. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Well, that makes it a good excuse for me not to have it sent to you as a gift for being on this podcast. <laughs> oh no, don't go that far. <laughs> yeah, let's not get crazy. <laughs> yeah. The other, the other chairs that I'm really liking um, from the Daniel House site right now is the Eurostyle line. Uh, um, thank you for mentioning that. I, I like it too, and it's affordable. Um, so that's other beyond being a very good looking line of chairs. Um, I love that a client can get the aesthetic of design within reach as an example, um, but on a more um, economical scale. And so I've specified uh, the bar stools, several of the bar stools in the past. Yeah. Clients love them. They look great. They feel really high quality. Um, the upholstery that they use is fantastic. Um, so I'm really enjoying those. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've bought a few Euro style pieces too. And I, uh, I don't want to use the word knockoff, but I just did. Um, you know, they're not originals, but they, they have really nicely tailored all of their offerings. And at a certain point, I realized that there are, there are, um, methods of construction in original designs that can be really critical um, to the way that they age, um, how beautiful they are from the get-go. But I feel like Eurostyle has really dialed in on what's totally critical and where it is okay to, um, to value engineer a little bit without losing the, the gusto of the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I that's true. I think that's true. And I think you're right. They've curated that line um, in such a way that um, it, it's not overwhelming to specify from, you've got a, you know, a dozen things from which to choose under the chair category instead of a hundred. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes, it, it, it can get a more efficient buying experience, I think, for or specifying experience for me. Um, too many options, even for the interior designer, is overwhelming, I, I think. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Okay, well, let's get into the, the technicalities of planning boards. And I'm specifically talking to you about this because I know that you use them to some extent. Um, but I know also that you've been working. Um, remotely with many, many clients. Uh, so how is this tool helping you? Uh, what other tricks are you using? How are you combining it with other tools to, to communicate with your client at a distance and specify easily? Mm -hmm. Well, all of my um, consultations are remotely done. Um, meaning that I use Google Meet or Zoom um, to collaborate with my clients on decorating and designing their spaces. Um, 
So I generally start by sending a list of things that I need from them. Um, one is a design survey telling me what they're what they're looking for, what they like, what they what they don't like. Um, photos of the space, uh, some basic dimensions, and then um, a list of their their priorities. And so once I have all of that information, I can um, go into the consultation um, with a better understanding of, of what it is that we need to tackle in uh, the increment of time that they purchased. Uh, after the consult's complete, I will often send them a Daniel House board, a room board, showing them the pieces that I'm proposing that they incorporate into their space. They of course need to verify that it's going to actually fit in that space because this is just a consultation. This is not a full service experience, yeah, um, yeah. but at least it gives them an idea of what it is they need to be looking for. The fact that if they do measure and they know that it'll work, they can simply press a button and purchase it directly without having to go through me is such an advantage. Um, being in Puerto Vallarta, it's difficult for me to manage the um, the, the financial uh, process um, with my clients. They you know they can't send me a check here. They could they could wire me some money and then I'd have to purchase the product. It'd be like, complicated. It would. It would be complicated. And so I really you know my target market wants this to be as simple as possible. Yeah. Uh, and this helps me do that. The fact that they can just purchase it on their own gives them some sense of control over the process. Um, and I don't have to mess around with the logistics. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to come back to that in more detail in just a second. I wanted to um, clarify, because I know when we first launched the um, project boards, I think a lot of people thought that it would be a design tool like designer ink type thing where you could actually create a presentation or a room plan, um, which, you know, someday that would be fantastic um, because it would allow you to shop and design in exactly the same space. Um, but that isn't really what it is. We have sort of thought of it as advanced um, wish lists wish lists with a little bit more capability um, than a typical wish list. And so you um, are, so you can show your clients the things that you're thinking about. And then um, once you've gone through it with them, you can convert that immediately into a shopping cart for them uh, rather than um, what has been traditional for myself is to go make a presentation that includes possibly, you know, 50 or a hundred items, and then uh, go back to my desk and start emailing and making phone calls to, to furniture reps who are wonderful and knowledgeable, but not always immu immediately communicative. So in the past, for me, it could take me two weeks just to complete all my purchase orders. Yeah. And then to manage all of those purchase orders and to track right. all of those purchases and right. you know, touch with the receiver and then schedule the installation. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot of steps. 
Yeah. Um, one of the things we were thinking as we were creating that as well um, was just our own experience in, um, not that we would necessarily specify from a big box retailer, although occasionally we did. Um, and a client is always willing to pay Pottery Barn or Restoration Hardware the full amount upfront. Um, um, and I, I do kind of think that's bizarre. I mean, it's it's a big institution, I think, so they feel confident, um, but they do have a more intimate relationship with the designer with whom they are working. So to me, I, I don't know, I find that trust a little bit strange, but our idea was that the, the designer's client would probably feel more comfortable making a payment in full to us than to the designer. Um, Absolutely true. I've, I've, I find that to be really um, spot on with my clients, especially. They're much more comfortable um, yeah. on a, with an online retailer, quote unquote, right? <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so straight. I think it's very odd. Uh, I, I don't think that I consume that way, but maybe, maybe if I, yeah, I'm not sure that I do, but, um, but for whatever reason, we've had that experience as well. So, um, so our goal has been, because even if you're running a really lean business, I think a lot of the times you do end up floating a client for a little while. So our goal has been to sort of take that away um, and make sure that we're collecting in full upfront, so the designer is is getting paid. Um, and I think it more closely to your point mimics the retail experience yes. because the ten percent shipping is built into it. it. It they don't question when I send them a separate invoice at the end of the project for shipping and receiving and installation. You know it it removes that piece, which starts to make them question like how much money they're spending and right. <laughs> right. all those things that, that make them panic. Yeah. Yeah. So panicking client is a, not a good situation at all. No. Um, so one thing that we like and feel like is kind of specific to our tool, and maybe it's not, maybe you're out there using something else that allows you to do this too, um, is that when you start a project, you can't, you fill in some information and you can decide up front what percentage of your discount with us you want to share with your client. Is that something you're using? Uh, is that helpful to you? Yeah, yeah, it's incredibly helpful. I, I do use it. Um, and that, you know, frankly, that amount changes based on um, the retailer and um, you know, the size of the, uh, the purchase. Um, but I do like that I can, I can adjust it in real time and see uh, where the profitability shifts and the fact that my client can see that they're getting a discount, quote unquote, is also uh, a, a really compelling thing because, you know, as we all know, a lot of clients will ask, you know, do you share your discount with me? Well, in this case, you can kind of say that you are. I know that, that that's blasphemy for a lot of designers to say that. Um, but there's something psychological about it. People like to save money. And <laughs> are you saying it's blasphemy for a designer to say that they're sharing their discount? Yeah. 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 I mean, there, there are multiple schools of thought on it, but, um, 
I would rather work with human psychology than try to <laughs> try to go right. again. I mean, <laughs> yes, I think I think the school of thought is I deserve to get paid. I'm doing a job, um, but yeah, every nobody wants to spend more if they can spend a little bit less. Yeah. Um, so I think even just a small uh, a small discount. Uh, a small savings from what the client could get in a retail shop uh, helps them want to keep doing business with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's very true. Everyone wants to say, you know, I've got a person who's, who can help you put that project together and do it economically. Um, yes. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I don't care how much money you have. You, you, <laughs> <laughs> right. The way, we're, the way we're wired. Right. And actually we've found that it, depending on the tier of membership you have with us, so we have 30%, 40% and 50% off, 10% uh, on shipping all the time. Um, partially because we find that designers first uh, skill is not math. Um, I, I include myself in that. So we did these really nice round numbers so people would always be able to figure out right away what they were paying. But if you're on the 40 or 50% off level, you can give your client a discount and still make more than you would on a typical discount um, if you were marking it up 30% or 35%. Right, right. If you had your own direct account with the wholesaler. And others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, for me, the fact it's a one-stop shop is the, is the most ideal that I can, um, yeah. go to the site source, what it is that I'm looking for. I can drill down based on upholstery type on size on brand. Um, so I can source more quickly on Daniel house than any other tool that I have. Oh, that's gold. Thank you for saying that. Um, I'm glad to hear that that's the case for you. Um, well, it's improved so much. It really has since, you know, I've been using it for a couple of years now and it's, it's just progressively gotten better and better and better. Thank you. Yeah. We, um, I am excited to say this week we're adding some Italian chairs. So we're going for the first time we're going outside the U S and Canada, um, for not a huge inventory, but, um, some interesting sculptural pieces, um, so every time we can add a new vendor that I feel like, oh, people maybe actually haven't seen this chair or this table before I, I get very excited. So, well, I can't wait to see that anything Italian and I'm, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so we are, um, always cognizant that there are things that need to be improved. Um, what are, what are the elements of the specification process with us using our tools that um, are challenging right now. I had this discussion with Caleb the other day, um, who has been so awesome. Uh, anytime I have a question about the technology, he's just Johnny on the spot for me. Um, but the one thing that I would love to see, uh, I, I use uh, design files yeah. uh, to put together mood boards for clients and the fact that I can make a room in 3D or scale a, a product so that it's larger. Um, it, you know, as an example, an area rug is something that anchors a space. Having the area rug be the same size as a chair in the room. It's doesn't confusing. 
it's confusing. Yeah. And so the fact that I can enlarge the area rug, I can scale it. Um, it, it really helps me communicate yeah. my recommendations yeah. to a client. So I, I think that's the only thing that I find lacking um, in, um, in, in your product, but I think it's, I think that's probably going to change down the line as well. <laughs> Not tomorrow, but that is a goal, a goal of yeah. ours. Yeah. One thing I, I would point out for me, because I do use our tool to work with um, clients of my own or to help customers um, is that it remains difficult to remove something from a board. Uh, yeah. Have you found that to be true i have and and i am not terribly tech savvy so some of that might be (laughs) (laughs) no you can't you can remove i'm also not that tech savvy um even though i am an age where i should be um you can remove an item but it is like a three click process so you have to click on the item you go to the product page of that item and then you click uh, where it says add to project, the dropdown comes down where all your projects are listed and you have to go find that project and click and then yeah. it will move, um, which is kind of a hassle. It's something we're working on. Uh, in the, in the interim, as it relates to design files, I would love it if when I, there's a clipper, a design files clipper, yes. yeah. and it doesn't, it doesn't work on Daniel House. Right. So I have to. Oh, so you can't clip from us to design. And that would be that would be amazing if I could just clip from you because right now I'm I'm literally going back and forth and back and forth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I heard you have the two windows open side by side. That's how. That's how I I utilize it. Yeah. And can you clip from everybody else? Huh. That's a good question. I can I can clip from retailers. Um, okay. But if I think about Designer Inc. or some of those other sites, I, I haven't been using the, I use Side Door for a, a tiny bit and um, I've used Designer Inc. once or twice. Um, but I don't think you can clip from those either now that I think about it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. That might be a stop gap in between. Yeah. I did love the Ivy Clipper. That was, is, does it function the same? It's exactly what it does. Okay. Yeah. Auto populates all the critical information. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That is an enormous time saving. Um, well, anything else I should be asking you about your your working process? Um. Um, one question actually quick is, you always send your cart to your client. So it's always your client paying the final bill. And so the process of you getting paid from us, how? How quickly and easily does that work for you? Um, it happens very quickly and very easily. Um, I, I literally, a, a check just shows up. <laughs> <It is laughs> that's you know, the best like thing. Magic. Yeah, no, it's, it's been very easy. And that's, that's the ideal. I think one of the, one of the, the things that always gave me heartburn about working with um, directly with wholesalers was that it was coming out of my right. pocket more yeah. or less. And so um, I, I always, I would always ask, you know, is there any way that my client can pay you and then I can get a check? Yeah. Uh, and very few will do that. And I understand it, it gets complicated that way, but I, it, it's so nice to not have to worry about that. Um, yeah. 
coming out of my bank account. And then <laughs> it can be very scary to be yeah. waiting and holding your breath, hoping everybody will pay or yeah. withdraw at the right moment that yeah. you yeah. need to be solvent as a small business. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I had one, one, uh, final question on that, but, um, Oh, I know. I know that you have had to return at least one or two items, um, maybe possibly more. How did that go for you? It was very easy. Um, I, I think having the, the concierge uh, element yeah. to, your, to your business model made it really um, quick and easy. You know, there, I think one of the pieces that uh, I'd specified showed up with a little bit of damage and you guys sent out somebody to repair it on the spot. And so it had already been delivered to my client. And so, you know, it was rather than having to go retrieve it, return it, have another right. one yeah. out, it done on the spot. And, and the client was, was none the wiser. They were happy, happy with, <laughs> happy with the process as well and how quickly it took place. Good. And that was a sofa, right? I think it was. Yeah. 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 Yes. Those the finding repair people is so important these days. I mean, it's a huge cost and time savings if you can find somebody who can make something perfectly new looking instead of shipping it all the way back. Especially right now when yeah. you're at, at an all time high. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, it, we've been chatting for an hour now, and you probably would like to get back to the sunshine, which I can see streaming into your, no, I'm, I'm sure that you have a real busy day. Thank you, Kristen, for your time. Uh, it has been wonderful to chat with you and um, any parting words you'd like to say or? Come visit in Puerto Vallarta. <laughs> yes, I'm booking my tickets right after this. <laughs> There's lots of great uh, shopping and textiles and pottery. And it's, it's really, um, it's really a lot of fun to be able to, to shop in a different, in a different city with a different aesthetic. Sounds like you have the, te the tequila hookup also. So you have the tequila. hookup. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, spring, spring break is just around the corner. So <laughs> perfect. I'm moving into a new place soon and I have extra bedrooms. So you guys can all come down. Awesome. <laughs> all right. We'll hold our, our monthly, our quarterly retreat there. I think uh, <laughs> I love it. We'll see you soon. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Kristen. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>